Don't Talk to Me Unless It's About Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close by Jonathan Safran Foer. I'm so excited and I'm really excited that you are into this book too because this is truly the first book I remember like really, really loving when I was a teenager. I think I read it in high school. You know, this and probably um, The Perks of Being a Wallflower are like the two first books I remember like really getting me into, into reading. And I've reread this book several times over the past, you know, probably 15 years, but it's been, it feels like it's been at least five years or more. So it's been so, so nice to go back into Oscar's little brain and world. And let me just say we've read to about halfway. So we went up to, in the paperback, page 186, which is right before the chapter, Happiness, Happiness. And at the end, we're also going to talk about uh, a podcast shared obsession of ours, Alone, A Love Story with Michelle Parisi. So stay stay tuned for that. Um, but let's first talk about Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. What have been your first reactions? Well, first of all, I can't believe you've read it that many times. When you <laughs> sent me a message that this was your myriad of readings I thought maybe this was your second ever reading since like you first read it (laughs) so now I know how deep your love really runs (laughs) um I have never read it I I kind of it's some a book I've heard about over the years and wanted to read and I'm not sure you know it's one of those that just passes you by and I it is a very unique book I'm enjoying how the narrator kind of switches around and it's almost disorienting at first. And still, that's something that I want to talk about with you because it was definitely a, I'm glad I'm book clubbing this moment because I, at times I'm like, who, wait, who's talking here? Whose story is this now? Uh, so that's really unique. And yeah, that's one of the things that stands out to me, which just went up, up front. Yeah. Well, it's funny because even after reading it all these times, I still, I feel like someone could convince me like, oh, that character is actually someone else. Like I'm still, I think I kind of know who the main narrators are, but it's still confusing. And that's kind of how he writes his other book, uh, Everything is Illuminated. I started and stopped that so many times, probably at least four or five times before I actually read it. Um, And I I also love that book, but it is very (laughs) confusing. (laughs) Like to me, well, who do you think the, how many narratives do you think we've like, you know, come across so far and who do you think they are? Okay. Good question. (laughs) Let me see. Obviously Oscar, the, child. So I think just to start off the top for those who are jumping into this, maybe haven't read it in a long time, whatever. The story is about the son of a person who died in 9-11. And so we're following this child and, and that feels very clear, right? So Oscar is this narrator. He has a very distinct voice up front really unique perspective on the world, very funny, childlike, but also more mature than that, 
I mean, kind of this old soul too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's a very clear one that's running through. But then his narration is interspersed with chapters that I think one is his grandmother, um, his dad's mom, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Right? Yeah. And one is his grandfather who is no longer alive in, from what I can tell. Or I, yeah. I, we, we haven't finished the story, so. I think the other one is the grandfather also, yeah. But is he not like, alive of, or is he, is at, he gone? Did he leave the family? I, I don't know. Well, okay. at, at this point, it's definitely not clear. Um, and I don't want to. Yeah, no spoilers. Speculate or spoil. Um, yeah, at this point, if I didn't know the second half of the book, I would not know which one it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the, the those two together, grandma and grandpa of the same couple, couple. both of the yeah. dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it seems like a multi-generational story of a family, but one of the generations is no longer there. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Cause I think the first, you know, I think the first one we come across that's not Oscar is the grandpa, um, who has stopped talking. Um, and then I think when we come across grandma's first chapter, when I first read it, you know, even now I, th- I still thought I was reading grandpa's words and then it took like one or two other times of reading her sections like oh no that was grandma and I like went back to the other ones like oh okay this is where grandma started yeah I think I know what you're talking about because I wrote a note in my notepad as I was reading and it's the only one I wrote where is it but it was sort of like who is talking here how is it connected who is this that was sort of the question that I had yeah Uh, yeah because they both write up the grandma and the grandpa both write about similar moments like I think her first one was maybe talking about being at the airport and we had maybe first heard of the grandpa going to the airport and so I thought we were back to him but it was actually her having followed him to the airport and you know hearing and then, you know, and one, they tell the things they're saying by showing his pages in his journal. And in another, they tell it kind of more like dialogue. And yeah, I would love to know how a book like this comes together because it's so like so much braiding of stories and perspectives. Yeah, I actually was thinking about that, too, in terms of so many aspects of the story. I just the way that someone's brain works to write this type of dialogue and prose. Mhm. It really feels like you're in someone's head but also in conversation. And there's so many profound nuggets woven into the whole thing. I find myself highlighting so much. Um, it's really impressive. (laughs) Yeah, I know it is just, it's so good. I know I underlined so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to start 
with kind of going through things here. Yeah. Why don't we let's talk let's talk about Oscar some more. Um and and all his visits to the different black families. Um you know, what what were you thinking of this little, you know, quest of his to meet everybody with the last name Black? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and to clarify, so this is a really, again, unique plot because he's on this sort of hero's journey quest and his father, it seems like, had these little adventures where he would give him clues to find, to solve a puzzle while he was alive. And and so Oscar is treating his belongings that he left behind as if they're clues to a puzzle. And so obviously as like an adult reader, you know, so he finds this key in his dad's belongings and it has the word black on it probably the company name and he's convinced that it means something right or did his dad write it that's this is what i can't figure out i'm like was it in his dad's writing the word black on the key i think he couldn't even tell whose handwriting it was in i think he like went and looked at something his dad wrote i think he asked his mom to write some stuff so he, I don't think we even know, yeah, who wrote it, but he just but found it in his dad's closet. It's handwritten. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I couldn't, that's a detail that I think is important because I was the yeah. whole, part of it. I'm like, what? I couldn't remember that detail. And I'm like, is it like the corporate logo stamped oh. on the key <laughs> that he's like trying to find who made the key? Um, no. Okay. So he, so this is handwritten on the key and he's trying to discern what it means. Yeah. And so now we're following him around New York City. And he's how old? Seven? Eight? I think he's like... Ten. Ten to twelve is... He's not twelve because he lies about being that old. Oh, okay. So yeah, maybe he's like ten. Okay. Okay. Still. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wild. Um, And he's walking around. He goes through... phone book, I guess, and it finds yeah. all the addresses of everyone with the last name Black, and he's going door to door and asking them if they know what the key is for. Um, it's completely absurd. <laughs> and the fact that it's working as a plot is so cool. I, I, because you get invested in these relationships he's building with these different people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't it's know. It's funny what, because I've never, I've never like stepped back to think about how absurd it is. <laughs> I think because I, I think, you know, probably since the first time I read this, I just get so deep into the head of Oscar that like I start thinking like him. And mm-hmm. to me, it's funny because it, it's not that I truly thought his dad left all these clues like for him, but I like, I almost kind of did. And like, until we were just talking, like, obviously his dad didn't know he was going to die that day. So right. he couldn't have left these clues for this reason. Um, and that just shows like how deeply I got into Oscar's mind of like, maybe these really are clues left by the dad. And yeah. And then I love that he, 
I love the little, like, his processing of, okay, I want to find out. Black was written on the envelope with this key in it. I'm going to go to a stationery store and ask for help because they must know this kind of stuff. And then, you know, the guy there is like, well, it's written in a different color. And the B is, I think the B was capitalized. And so maybe it's a name. And it's like, oh, and like for him, he had just thought the color black. And then he finds his dad's name written on these pads of paper. Um, and I think it might have been in that scene also. I love when, <laughs> I just love the the beauty of like not revealing details until later. And like, he'll be having a whole conversation with this man in the stationery store. And then he's like, can you please not shake the tambourine in the store? (laughs) (laughs) And like, then you realize, oh, this whole time he's been shaking his tambourine. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Yeah. His little anti-anxiety kind of tambourine that he carries around, which is so, such a sweet little detail. Um, Yeah. I, I think, it is funny because you you get invested in the journey of it, even though it's absurd, which I think is, again, like a tribute to his, the author's skill at putting you in the shoes of the character. And there are certain points where I kind of hope that his mom discovers the key around his neck. Obviously, we haven't finished this story, so... For me, I have no idea if that's where this is going and she's going to like, oh, this is for this lockbox or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. But there's a part of me that's like, I I want there to be some resolution to this that's like satisfying or that he gets this question answered. Um, And I think it's it's clearly this journey is helping him process his grief. Yeah. And there's there's a great quote somewhere about, uh, you know, Oscar thinking, I think he was maybe even quoting someone or being like, I heard that, you know, sometimes you just need to do something. You just need a project to keep you moving forward. And I I think I probably wouldn't have realized the value of that when I first read this book. But now I'm like, yeah, that is really important. And I feel like there's this weird pull between like, okay, if you're having a bad emotion, do you just like sit in it and that's like being really present and true to that emotion? Or do you distract yourself with some kind of project that helps you like move out of that emotion? And I feel like they're often presented as like opposing things and you can't do both. And I see this a lot with, you know, with having a two-year-old of like advice about toddler tantrums, you know, some that's like, you should never distract your child because that's like invalidating their experience and others that are like, but like having parents her, I'm like, no, I usually need to distract her. <laughs> and frankly, I need to be distracted when I'm like sad, you know, like I need a, I need a little bit of the validation, but then like, I usually need the, okay, somebody distract me or give me something to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's when, I, so one of the connections that I just made while talking to you about this is, so we're on this journey, you and I, of reading, rereading books that we've loved. The first book you picked is Bridge to Terabithia, which is also about a grieving child. (laughs) (laughs) So now here we are with Oscar. I'm ready for my tarot card reading. Yeah. (laughs) Like this, 
something's happening here. <laughs> I'm connecting some dots. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I haven't made that connection. <laughs> but I did tell you that I like purposely sought out like chicken soup for the grieving soul. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's all, it's all, it's all adding up, uh, yeah. in some way. Although <laughs> we, we need the Tara, Taylor Swift song that like ties it in a bow yes. <laughs> about childhood and sadness, and grief, um, learning how to cope with loss. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's, that's an aside. I was just, as we we're talking, I'm like, We've also recently discussed coping with grief as a child. Something. <laughs> well, and let's. I'm trying to think. In that book, in Bridge to Arbithia, we don't really go far enough into like his grief to see like what you know direction he takes to get over it. So, no, there I'll, were some I'll... affirmations of his grief from the teacher. Yes, you know. Hmm. Which was really beautiful moment, and his dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so far, I mean, my favorite visit to someone with the last name Black is when he goes to the neighbor upstairs. Me too. I mean, it's hard not for that to be a favorite. I don't know where the story is going from here, but you know, him visiting this elderly, how old is he supposed to be? A hundred plus? old. I forget. I think 104. Because he's, he tells him, um, what's his name? Abe, maybe? Abe Black. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That he was born in 1900. Okay. So if it's 2000. Yeah. 2001. Yeah, he's over 100. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just the sweetness of that whole interaction of, um, yeah, Oscar realizing how lonely this person is and that he hasn't left his home in 20 plus years since his Mm -hmm. wife died. And offering to bring him along on his adventures, asking for this person's help, this old man's help. Um, it was just so sweet. <laughs> You're right. It's, I almost, I forgot that he asks him to go with him. And then he says, does he, he says yes, but we... Yes, he we he don't doesn't see them directly the say together. yes. Yeah, we haven't seen them go out together, but he 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 kind of says yes. Uh but he uh let's see. They he discovers that the old man doesn't have his hearing aids on and has been lip reading the whole time. Oh yeah. And so they go through this process where Oscar Mm -hmm. helps him, asks him if he wants to turn them on and then turns the hearing aids on and the old man starts crying to hear sounds again. And it's just, it's so sweet. So to, to me, it's like they're, they're preparing for an adventure. Uh, TBD. Yeah. 
Uh, yes, and I love, you know, he has these cards about people and Oscar has this, you know, thinking that he wishes his dad was in there. And, you know, what does it mean that these, that there's like murderers in here? Um, and, but his dad isn't and shouldn't he be, you know, kind of remembered somehow? Um, and it's also in this chapter that I wanted to ask you about this idea I love all of Oscar's little inventions. Um, and he had this one of, you know, what if your skin changed color according to your mood? Um, and I'll just, I'll read the paragraph it's in. What if the water that came out of the shower was treated with a chemical that responded to a combination of things like your heartbeat and your body temperature and your brain waves so that your skin can't change color according to your mood. If you were extremely excited, your skin would turn green. And if you were angry, you turn red, obviously. And if you felt like shiitake, you turn brown. And if you're blue, you turn blue. <laughs> um, and he goes on to be like, wouldn't that be, you know, good, a good invention so that you could know what to say to other people and that you could know yourself if you're confused. How am I feeling? You could just look down at your arm and see what color you are. And I, th I feel like this was kind of similar to there was that kids movie about like, what was it called? It was about moods and. It was a Pixar movie yeah. and they had all of the different emotions. Yeah. I'm blanking. Okay. We're thinking of the same movie. Um, and I thought about this also relative to like pain. What if you could see like physically how much pain someone was in? Um, but it makes me wonder like, would that be better? Like what would the downsides, what would the upsides and downsides be of knowing exactly what people were feeling? as they were feeling it. Yeah. I loved this too. And I outlined the whole section as well. So I think it's funny that you brought it up. <laughs> um, this whole scene, actually, I highlighted so much of it because it's almost like a fantasy novel to me. There's this magical quality to this scene with this neighbor <clears throat> where when he asks him, do you know my father? And he goes and opens a closet and there's a big filing cabinet in there. And he says, what's that? You know, Oscar says, what's that? Oh, it's my biographical index. Who, who does that? No one. There's maybe people do. I mean, this is just where you're sort of, yeah, people have quirky stuff they do that, that you don't know about, of course. But this person keeps a filing cabinet filled with index cards with names on it of every person they've ever come across in a story they've read out in the world. And one word to describe them, this was mm -hmm. brilliant. It was such a yeah. brilliant section. And I outlined, so this was right before that. Uh, and I just thought it was hilarious because they listed out all of these different people that were in the index and each of them only has one word, right? <laughs> yes. And most of them are war or money. Yep. <laughs> including Pope John Paul II, war, uh, Mick Jagger, money, Wolfgang Puck, money, Jeff Bezos, money, not surprising. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger war. I, I don't know. It, Mahatma Gandhi, he has as war. 
and Oscar's like, he's a pacifist. Um, and then right. War. war. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it just was so interesting to me that whole section. I was like, this is like out of a fantasy novel. Like this is like, you're right. It is. You're opening a closet and there's a whole secret world in there. And this person has been keeping. And so then that kind of transitions into Oscar talking about, you know, having these, this fantasy himself about like what would happen if your skin could change color in the shower based on your mood. I loved it because I think that, you know, children have such a simple way of seeing the world that is also so profound. And so the thing that stood out to me about it was the fact that first he said, oh, it would be so nice to know how other people are feeling because then you wouldn't yell at them about something if you could see that they already felt bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he goes to the deeper level of, well, actually, sometimes you don't know how you yourself are feeling. And wouldn't yeah. it be nice to be able to know that? And mm-hmm. I just, I was like, yeah. I would like to know that sometimes. Yeah. I would love to be able to look at my skin and tell how I'm feeling or have it just be what, you know, that one thing, um, you know, the last line is like, you become confused, but with the special water, you could look at your orange hands and think I'm happy that whole time I was actually happy. What a relief. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love, I loved that. And I resonated with that. I want that too, Oscar. I agree. It is really, a really profound thing. And because yeah, so often what I feel is anger, but actually, you know, what's under it is I'm feeling bad about myself or I'm feeling, you know, unimportant or, um, and it would be really helpful to know that. And likewise, if someone might be presenting to me as like they're, they're being condescending, you know, maybe actually they're really tired or they just got bad news themselves or, you know, who knows. Um, it does make me think of uh, like all the smartwatch stuff and people having like their Fitbit and being like, oh, my Fitbit said that like, I didn't sleep well last night. And like, I kind of think all that stuff is bullshit. I'm like, well, yeah, now you're anxious about not sleeping well, but like maybe you <laughs> felt fine before that. Or, you know, people are like, oh, I like it says I'm like under recovered. And I just, I like a much more intuitive approach to that stuff. <laughs> um, so, you know, I see that could cause some challenges, but it's, you know, it's a great just even idea to have to like try to remember what what color would this person be right now and like what color am I and is it the one I think I am or yeah 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 it's a really sweet moment and why I love reading fiction because I my brain doesn't think of things like that and maybe it used to I don't know but it's it's a fun way to, you know, now you can have that lens on the world. And, and, you know, I've thought of it in different ways. Like you do, you know, as an empathetic person, you're trying to sort of discern how other people are feeling and be mindful. And yeah, I love the idea of even 
just, you know, it'd be a fun thing to ask my nieces, you know, it's a great way to interact with younger people too. Of like, how, yeah. how are you feeling? What color would you be? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There is Do a children's you... book I bought for my niece that, that actually is about that. What color? Oh, really? What color are you? And talks about emotions. Oh, it's one of my favorite children's books. Yeah. I've always read this like Oscar, I, you know, feels like maybe he, uh, you know, would be considered on the spectrum or like some kind of neurodivergence. Um, I don't know what, what that would have been called in 2005 when this was written. Um, did, have you taken Oscar that way at all? Hmm. I didn't. Uh, I guess I could see that. And also, you know, uh, I think it's a child experiencing extreme grief and, uh, learning how to cope with something that's truly inexplicable. I mean, the terrorist attack in 2001 is hard for anyone to comprehend. So yeah. I think there is a part of me that I didn't even go there uh, to think about anything like that in well, regards that's, to him. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear because I feel like I, I so quickly had that assumption. And, you know, I'd say I feel like The Perks of Being a Wallflower was uh, a book that had a similar kind of narrator voice to me or n- maybe not the narrator, but the main character. Um, and... Yeah, it just goes to show, like, I don't know exactly what, you know, what experience have I had that makes me have these assumptions about, like, that because Oscar's playing his tambourine in a stationary store mm. that um, or something. Um, and it's almost like, I feel like I almost have this bias of, like, and I don't think it's consciously, but, like, oh, if he's that, like, creative and eccentric and unique and talking and thinking about feelings that much like there's something different about him um even mm-hmm. though I connect to him so much like I mm. I don't think of him as different I think of myself as very similar to him um but yeah that's that makes me I'm looking forward to now like reading the second half of the book not with that lens like because I don't I've never went gone to look up you know if that's something that the author has said was part of this or mm-hmm. if that's just purely like a, a lens I put on this. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because of the multi-generational story being told and mm. the, a lot, the, the mother, uh, Oscar's mother says many times that he reminds him so much of his dad or she, he reminds her so much of the father. Yeah. And then the grandfather and the grandmother also have these really eccentric qualities to them. And so for me, what I liked about the book is the way that the author is kind of showcasing these like quirky parts of being human that I think we Mm -hmm. all have, all of us have a different way of seeing the world and telling the story in our heads. And then that like bumps up against somebody else's way of seeing the world, which we're really getting with the grandmother and the grandfather's story. 
And so I don't think I saw it as Oscar being an outlier or being neurodivergent in any way. I think it's just the way that the author is like showcasing all these different types of humans being weird and human. Being themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. What, you know, and it, it also doesn't, he brings up a lot of these quirks without like explaining them. Like, you know, the grandfather, for example, it's not that he literally couldn't speak anymore. He just stopped speaking. Um, And there, you know, the grandma and the grandpa, they're like nothing zones that they make in the house. And I'm wondering how, how do you see their relationship? Like for me, it was so hard to parse out like where are the parts where they're happy together versus not or like were they a good fit what what went wrong just all the question marks around the grandma and grandpa well and the story of their relationship so to me at this point in time what I feel like I know about their story is that they're both from Germany from Dresden and they were living there when was it world war two do you think they don't say it's sort of like it's very clear that a war is coming you're right I actually kind of always thought it was world war two but now that I'm thinking about it I'm like wouldn't they be kind of older than that it's possible well, it, it could go either way I'm guessing it's world war two yeah, Oscar is a child in 2001 and it's his grandparents. So I, okay. So, so what I think I know about their story is they were children in Germany, teens in Germany as world war two is coming and Oscar's grandfather falls in love with Oscar's grandmother's sister. Yes. Older sister. We don't know at this point what has happened to her, but she is no longer, from what I can tell, alive, like died potentially during the war from some something. Um, and the grandmother and the grandfather reconnect afterwards and have a very strange love story that seems like he is trying to reconnect with, with his former lover, her sister, through her and so to me and 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 the and the grandmother is just lonely it sounds like maybe most of her family has died right like maybe this is like a post-war like she's alone yeah well i think they do they openly say i feel like i always read that they're jewish and that this was the holocaust but do they actually not say that i they have never said anything about the Holocaust to, 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 from what I noticed, this is all like kind of subtle cluing that I, I also assume that they're a Jewish family and that like her sister died there. They maybe made a reference in passing to like her being in a work camp or something like that, but it's never referred to openly or explicitly. Yeah. And so, yeah, to me, it's, their love story is one of trying to connect with people who are no longer alive or a feeling they had before this tragedy and trauma happened to them. 
And so they're almost like clinging to each other through this. Um, but again, that's all um, me filling in the blanks from what they've written in these letters that we're reading. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, well, it's funny because I don't think that that's like, I don't think this is like a spoiler of me like being like, oh, they're Jewish. I think, I th yeah, I think it's just me filling in the blanks and or knowing the fact that John Stephen Foer is Jewish um, mm -hmm. and, his, and his other books like talk about Judaism. So like me just kind of, you know, inserting that on here. No, I think that makes sense. I, I absolutely think that makes sense. I think it's interesting that it's not explicit. And, and yeah. the way that they are writing in their letters about what has happened in their lives is not about that explicitly. It's sort of yeah. talking about their relationship and how they're trying to relate to each other. And it's a really... Sad, sad thing because I think they both want to feel connected and they don't. I know it really is so sad, mm -hmm. and I don't know. You know, part of me almost wants to like to say I don't know who to blame. Like, which mm -hmm. one of them isn't trying hard enough, or which one of them is being selfish? Um, and that that's probably not <laughs> a good way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> I love like, yeah, getting into it. We, we're always psychoanalyzing the characters. Like you need to get into therapy. Stat. Yeah. <laughs> Grandma and grandpa. <laughs> yeah. 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 My, so here's one. So my, the most interesting takeaway or whatever, the thing that kind of clicked for me in their story that I thought was so fascinating. I wondered what you thought about this. So we're reading the grandfather's perspective first, which you don't realize until then you're later reading the grandmother. To me, it was just like, I don't know what's happening here. I guess I'll figure it out as we go. And then once I started reading the grandmother's story, I was like, oh, that was, that was the grandfather. Yeah. So we're reading, I'm reading the grandfather's story and he's telling about how his wife uh, can't see, has bad mm -hmm. eyesight and how he, uh, got this typewriter and she decided he kind of convinced her to type her life story on it. And so she would go into the typewriter every day for months and months and just type all day long. And he was kind of loved that for her. Like it had given her a purpose in her life and, and she seemed more fulfilled. And, and at the end of this like lengthy period of her typing out quote unquote, her life story, she brings the stack of pieces of paper to him, this huge stack. And says, I finished my life story. I want you to read it. And he picks up a piece of the paper and it's blank. And then he looks at the typewriter and he realizes it, he had gotten a broken typewriter. It was never going to work. And she, and he's like, oh my gosh, she has such poor eyesight that she thinks she typed her life story. And now she wants me to read it and there's nothing here. And so he pretends to read it. Okay. Yeah. Which is this really kind of like sweet, heartbreaking, bittersweet, tender thing. Okay. Fast forward. And then we get to the grandmother's chapter and she re reveals that she doesn't have bad eyesight. She told him she had bad eyesight so that he would do nice things for her. And 
talks about how she intentionally went in there and just didn't type anything, just hit the space bar. Like yeah. she knew she hadn't typed anything. Mm-hmm. But then she doesn't say about her experience of him pretending to read her life story. Cause I, that's what I wanted. I was like, what did she yes. think about him pretending? But I think that was just so a part of their relationship. And, and maybe it felt good to her that he was like being so supportive I don't know. What did you what did you take it's, away from that? Because it's I, wild. I, I'm so glad you brought up that part because it's such a confusing, like in some ways it is. It's so sweet and heartbreaking and like showing support for each other and love for each other. And then it's also just like, you know, it's like a textbook example of like poor couple communication. <laughs> like not, you know, not openly expressing what you need and what you want and not being honest. And so it just goes to show the gray areas of, you know, how you can show or receive love. And I think when I first only heard the grandpa's part, I was like, yes, that's just sweet. And then once you add knowing that grandma was just hitting the space bar, then it just becomes much more confusing. And I'm like, I don't even know what I think about this. I, I definitely feel sad about all of it. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt too. It's sort of this sweet story of like someone having this disability and be su- being supported through it. But then it takes a dark twist where it's mm-hmm. like, what is she choosing this for? She's choosing to have this weakness so that he can support her. I don't know. It's and like, yeah. what is the what is the blank page book a metaphor for? Just like the giant unspoken elephant in the room, you know? I don't know. Yeah, like, does is that what she really feels about her life? That there's nothing to say. Um, yeah. 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 And, and ultimately, so I couldn't quite tell, but I think based on the end of the section we read that he does ultimately end up leaving her. She, I think so too. You know, they talk about how they had decided not to have a child together and she decided she wanted to be pregnant. So she uh, kind of goes against their their wishes that, that he had expressed yeah. and gets pregnant. And mm-hmm. when he finds that out, he leaves. He tries to leave her. She convinces him to come back. And then I think he ultimately does leave. Yeah, that's how I read that. Okay. Um, like she goes to the airport. They have this really emotional uh, conversation. I, I underlined some parts from this of, you know, I, I did not feel that I owed it to him. We owed it to each other, which was something different. And then they talk about, you know, she says, uh, he says, I'm not angry with you about the child. And she says, you must be. And she says, I'm the one who broke the rule. And he says, but I am the one who made the rule you couldn't live with. And I feel like those two sentences are also, it's kind of like the book thing of like, both of them take on a blame and a responsibility and also like hold something against the other. Um, Yeah. And then he comes back with her, but then 
he ultimately leaves. Yeah. 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 And as I think I know, I think that he writes his chapters addressed to his son. Right. And then she writes her chapters addressed to Oscar. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, his start, why I'm not where you are, to my unborn child. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's so tragic. Well, yeah. And I was like, this, of course, this is a tragic tale. Caitlin picked it. Caitlin picked it. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Not only is it set post 9-11 with someone's parent dying from that, but then clearly this is like post-World War II trauma for these other families. So it's this sort of intergenerational like trauma that we're yeah. like witnessing. Um, and I, it's very, it's very sweet. I, I think there's, like I said, there's a lot of profound moments too. Um, did you have any favorite lines? I mean, obviously you've read a few oh, of them. I do have some favorite lines. Let's see. Um, Okay, some of my, I love Oscar's humor. It's just like I would, I want to learn how to write this funny. Uh, and the on the second page when he's talking about going to his jujitsu classes and you know the teachers are being like destroy my privates and he's like I'm not gonna do it and they go back and forth. It's this long long paragraph. Um, I told him that's fascinating. My last jujitsu class was three and a half months ago. <laughs> <laughs> And then right on the next page, it has, you know, just this little tidbit about he's got a yo-yo and uh, his mom, what's the guy's name? Ron. Uh, His mom's like kind of boyfriend. You assume Ron picks up the yo-yo and is playing with it. And he goes, yo-yo moi. (laughs) Grabs it back. (laughs) What I really meant to tell him was, you're not my dad and you never will be. And so he like... It's this humor, like right next to these, like heartbreaking little mm-hmm. kid isms. Yeah. Um, and I also, okay, one more funny quote I love is after he got the, he's, he's obsessed with Stephen Hawking and he <laughs> writes him a fan mail letter and then he gets this like generic response back in the mail of like, I get so many letters. Thanks for yours. And it says, I called mom cell. Oscar, you picked up before it rang. Is everything okay? I'm going to need a laminator. (laughs) There's something incredibly wonderful that I want to preserve. (laughs) I love that too. I know. And then also my last favorite quote is this was um, at our wedding. Mac and I shared a little toast and I always knew this was like, this has always been my favorite quote in life, and I wanted to say it. Um, and it comes from, I think it's grandma's, it's either grandpa or grandma's chapter. I have to look back later to see which one of them it is. Oh, maybe it's grandpa's chapter, but it's grandma who says it on page 130. And oh, yeah, this is before she's writing her book. And mm-hmm. he says to her, you could write about other people. And she says, my life story is the story of everyone I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And then later she says, aren't my life and my feelings the same thing? Mm -hmm. I just love that so much. I love that too. I love that too. Did you say that was in a toast at your wedding? Yeah. So I had, I shared that um, 
you know, I think of like, all you amazing people are here and you are our life story and make our lives what it is. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I had a similar one. I think this is from the grandmother's part. And, um, so this, this is the section that I, that I underlined, underlined. When I was a girl, my life was music that was always getting louder. Everything moved me. A dog following a stranger. That made me feel so much. A calendar that showed the wrong month. I could have cried over it. I did. Where the smoke from a chimney ended. How an overturned bottle rested at the edge of a table. I spent my life learning to feel less. Every day, I felt less. Is that growing old? Or is it something worse? You cannot protect yourself from sadness without protecting yourself from happiness. And I just think about the fact that she is writing this to her grandson. Um, and, you know, at that point in in her story, it's the experience of she had convinced her husband not to leave her that one day. And then he left mm. her the next day. And so yeah. she's reflecting on, uh, yeah, that that experience of trying to protect yourself, but from from feeling any emotion means that you don't get to feel the good things too, that you experience more when you're a child because you're so, so much more open and vulnerable. Uh, so I yeah. just, I loved that. I underline that section too. I love that. Yeah. And I think she has another section that I underlined that I really liked. Um, oh yeah. There were things I wanted to tell him, but I knew they would hurt him. So I buried them and let them hurt me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's really poetic. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and a lot of the grandparents, I think, are, are sort of, their writings are reflecting on their lives and what they would have done differently or, you know, experiences mm-hmm. they had while the other narrator is their grandchild who is a child. And so yeah. that juxtaposition, I think is just so interesting. Yes. And I'm, I'm excited to see where, where it goes. I, I honestly could have no clue where this plot could lead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Cause I remember, you know, many things, but I don't, there's also a lot, I don't remember the details of, so I'm really excited to get back in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we talk well, should about we... alone? Yes. Let's uh, let's segue to uh, the the mini episode within the bigger episode. <laughs> I found this podcast. I think just through like searching on you know shows like this, shows like this, like trailing down looking for shows called Alone, a love story. It's by CBC, and the host is this woman Michelle Parisi. And I don't, I don't know if you know this, but she, I think the story of the podcast is that she had written a memoir and it was unpublished. I don't know if she tried to get it published and like didn't, um, or it was just not published. And so she made this podcast about it that is very much, it's not an audiobook; It's like the podcast version of the book. And since the book has been published, so now it's also a book. Um, and 
I was so obsessed with it. I was, I am so sad that I've listened to all of it and there's no more to listen to. And I'm so happy that you also listened and I can't wait to hear what you thought about it. Well, you know, you were texting me not once, but probably two or three times. Are you listening yet? Have you listened yet? How did you stop listening after three episodes? What are you doing? Get back in there. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-oh, what's going to happen? I don't, I, yeah. I was like, Marie, you flew all the way back from friggin' Portugal to California and you I haven't finished listen. this? Yeah, that's true. And now, yeah, I did regret it. But I quickly, quickly moved through it after that. And I, what did I think about it? It's an addictive story because it's essentially this woman telling the story of her divorce and the fallout of that. And she's now a single mom. And at first, you know what it was? I didn't realize it was nonfiction when it started Mm. because they do Mm -hmm. such a good job of, of telling it like it's a, a fictional podcast story. Totally. And so I was sort of not as into it when I thought it was just a fiction podcast. Mm -hmm. And then once I realized it was nonfiction and also that the person telling the story and the podcast was the author, was the person whose life it was. Yeah. I got really into it. So I don't know (laughs) what that says about me, but I, I, uh, yeah, there was there's something about it that ticks off the like human need for hearing almost it's like third hand gossip or something because this is a very dramatic like breakup where there's a her partner of a long time has an affa- husband has an affair and you know and so then she's recreating the story of their relationship and how it started and how in love they were and then like what went wrong and then also the subsequent love stories that she has um and and her coping with kind of evolving as a person um and learning how to be independent and alone yeah uh yeah and yeah what struck me about it was it was such a deeply honest account. Like she did not, you know, try to sugarcoat herself. Um, and, and she also didn't try to explain or like defend her choices. You know, she talks about like becoming this big partier and having lots of one night stands and, um, you know, and then getting up in the morning and going to work and picking up her daughter at school. And, um, and she doesn't like apologize for any of it or, try to like psychoanalyze it. She just is like, this is what happened. And she also has this really messy, you know, her and her ex-husband in the first like two years after their divorce, like they keep sleeping together. Mm -hmm. And again, she doesn't try to explain that. She's just like, this is what happened. Like it was messy. And, and she also kind of isn't trying to be alone. Um, you know, she's still really seeking out love and connection and doesn't make that, you know, doesn't, isn't like, oh, well, I must not be a feminist because I or a strong woman. Um, and I think, yeah, I feel like there's this cultural story against like, oh, I, and I feel it too of like, I don't want the answer to be, you know, that someone finds happiness just through love. But like, that is how a lot of people find happiness and 
isn't that okay to admit that you want that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 I really appreciated the same things. The She is very raw and real. And uh, I do think there's a cultural narrative that to be a strong person or a strong woman, you shouldn't need anybody and you should be able to be okay on your own. And I really liked that she wore her heart on her sleeve and how she was able to just kind of experience this like really painful uh, event and breakup of her life and dive back into kind of trying to find that with someone else. Uh, and also while working on her own, uh, resilience, but it's, it's, it was inspiring to me in that way. Mm -hmm. She didn't let it stop her from wanting love and connection. Whereas I think a lot of people, whatever, I, I think the experience can be when you're hurt that badly, betrayed that badly you stop trusting, you push people away. Mm-hmm. And that, that her story is, is sort of the opposite, almost like an anecdote to that. Uh, so I, I, I loved that. Yes. And then it also has this whole topic about, you know, non-monogamy with the man with the white shirt and that story was just such a roller coaster. Um, and it's interesting because she didn't sugarcoat herself, but also that part of the story made me realize like, oh, this is all from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because eventually they break up because he's like, our relationship is too tumultuous and there's too much fighting. And I was like, fighting? Like, I, you know, she brought up a couple things, but like, I didn't imagine them fighting. Um, and I was like, I want the man with the white shirts podcast tell all of, <laughs> you know, because... I was so I was so distraught by them not working out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it was, you know, he was he was like, I wanna do it. I wanna be in a committed relationship with you. And that seemed like this really big deal. And then, you know, it didn't even last a year. Um Yeah. And then she like kept him in her life, I think, right? Like with her daughter. And I was like, How are you doing that? Like I would not be able to do that. Um Yeah, what were your thoughts on like that part? Yeah, that was tough. That was well, and also just so real. There was so real her experience of being in the dating world. She knew she wasn't ready for a serious relationship right away. She's going through all these one night stands. It's chaotic. And then she meets this, this person and they have this really intense connection. They both know it. They're both a little bit scared of it. And it becomes this, uh, sort of half relationship because he's, he's polyamorous. She doesn't want to be polyamorous, but at the same time, she's still going to be dating around because she is looking to meet a partner. And so they kind of fall into this. They are in a polyamorous relationship, essentially. Um, They're really in love. And this is years, years 
I mean, yeah, that they are in this situation where, you know, she tries to cut it off a couple of times because she's like, I'm not getting what I want from you. But at the same time, she hasn't met anybody else that she connects with like that. And it sounds like the same for him, too, which is why it was a really compelling story, because it was all of the things you love about the like, will they or won't they be together? Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, you're just like rooting for them so much the whole time. And then there's this pivotal moment where they actually get together and you're like, oh my gosh, it happened. And then, and then they break up, like you said, less than a year later. And yeah, I didn't think about like, I want the man with the white shirt story, but I I do feel like we almost got shortchanged a little bit because the story was, it's such a long timeline it seems to me like years and years yeah. of her life mm-hmm. it seems like maybe a decade almost that she's yeah, put in this memoir so. and it's the will they won't they we get the will they won't they with the man with the white shirt for a long time and then we got very little time of them like happy together maybe two episodes or something I of know. like how many a lot and and then it's like you said it's this sudden like he thinks that we fight too much i thought fighting i didn't think we were fighting i thought we were just having a disagreement or a conversation and that's what love is mm-hmm. and so it, it it became this really kind of i felt the ending like fizzled a little bit for me because mm-hmm. the build-up to i mean it is lovely that by the end of the story, she feels happy being on her own in a way that she didn't at the beginning of the story. And I think that is the point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love that for her. But I really, obviously, we wanted her to be with the man with the white shirt. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, because this isn't fiction, like, it's, I still almost like think about it like fiction and I kind of analyze it like in my brain, like what if the story was this way or like what if the character <laughs> just chose to share this? But it was like, no, that was someone's actual life. And so, you know, I don't mean to like critique someone's life <laughs> as I'm thinking about it. Um, it. It made me, you know, she, it's like she is very reflective. And then also, you know, we didn't get a lot of, here were my takeaways from things not working with the man with the white shirt. Um and it does sound like, you know, she, you know, and she just kind of casually dropped in stories about her and her um, husband when they were married, like throwing a dish across the room or like, you know, having like big kind of outbursts that Tim, you know, to me or others could be seen as like anger issues or things like that. And like for her, she's like, no, that's just like, that's just what happens. Like you just have these big emotions and it's love. And like, I'd be curious to know, it sounds like that was also present with the man with the white shirt like because there's I don't think there's a right answer like there's two ways to come out of that to be like okay well this is how I see love and I want to find someone who sees it the same way or maybe I'm gonna try to change that way about me because it didn't work and I don't you know I would be just genuinely curious to know a reflection on that yeah yeah you're right I I, that's interesting uh yeah because it's, it is real life. So there isn't going to be a Hollywood ending. It's going to be the reality of what happened in this scenario. And I, yeah, I, I think you're getting to the point of why it, the ending kind of fizzled for me. 
because it just went straight from kind of like what we'd been rooting for the whole time to though that didn't work out i'm back on my own and the the quote unquote happy ending or whatever the the closure that we receive is that she's back in italy which is where her family is from and she's on her own doing her creative projects and feeling content Mm -hmm. uh and there wasn't you're right there there was this thread woven throughout of really chaotic intense emotion and there isn't any sort of discussion about that but again maybe it's just because it's it's she seems like a pretty unapologetic person in terms of like if this is yeah. who I am this is how I show up in the world and that's what you get and yeah. there's something to be I really appreciate that, which is what I think is captivating yeah. about the whole totally. story. So to mm-hmm. at the end sort of be like, well, I learned some lessons about maybe I shouldn't show up this way or that way would be almost like not true to her. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, I'm remembering now that the wedding, she goes to New York City and like the guy she meets there. And I was just like, oh, my God, why isn't he going to move to Canada? Same. (laughs) Same. Like, you know, she has a child that's like she legitimately cannot move, um, like, legally. Um, Yeah, moments like that or, like, also the man with the white shirt. I just, like, I don't really get the whole, like, polyamory thing in a deep way. I was like, I don't understand. He seems so happy with her why can't he just give up having sex with these other women? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> what I is mean, going on? The, the wedding guest love connection connected by the bride and groom was another, like, oh, we are going to get our Hollywood ending. And yeah. then I also, I was like, why isn't he moving? What, what, what's going on here? But <laughs> real life, I mean, would you move yeah, for also, someone you met once at a wedding? Like, probably, probably not. not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, hopefully we will get more because I believe that where it ended, where the podcast ended was actually like five years ago or something. Um, and so, and I, I think, you know, I, I listened to every single episode. There were some like wrap up episodes or like post season episodes. Um, and so I, I think she said, you know, eventually there will be more. Um, so I'm very, very hopeful for yeah. it to continue. It reminds me of the experience of when people used to have personal blogs that you could like, yeah. find on the internet. And there was, you know, one or two that I would read. And they were loosely people that I like knew through a friend or friend, a friend that like would have these and you would, and they were often writers, right? Of course, it mm-hmm. makes sense. They're writing a personal blog and they're good at me because they like writing. And I, it was the same feeling that I had of like, oh, I'm sort of a voyeur on this person's yes. life. And I, I love, I love that. It's like why I think the show Normal Gossip is so successful. And I wish that I had conceptualized and actualized that <laughs> myself. <laughs> That's funny. I actually haven't listened to that yet but I've heard 
uh, I've heard multiple people talk about it. It's fun. It's fun. I, I'm not, I don't listen to every episode, but I enjoy the concept of it almost more than anything yeah. else, because especially during the pandemic, there were many, I don't know if you remember this, but there were quite a few thought pieces and like the Atlantic and maybe the New Yorker that were about one of the reasons that the pandemic and isolation is so hard for human beings is because we're social animals. And one of the things that we do is we tell each other stories, not only about our own lives, but about the other people in our lives. And so yeah, that is how we connect. That is how we learn things about ways of life that are different from ours or are inspired to try new things or be in the world in a different way or be like, oh no, I don't want to live that way because that's that's not something I'm into. Um, you know, books can provide the same thing, of course, but the real true stories of other people is what's really you can connect yeah. to. And so when nobody was doing anything, we're all <laughs> not only just starved for activity, but just like stories about each other. And so I had yeah. a friend of mine from college call me up one day and he had read, he had read one of these articles and he's like, tell me anything, you know, about somebody I don't know. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> and so he and I would start telling each other these stories about like people that not like on his side, people I had never met and on my side, people yeah. he'd never met and sort of like anonymous, like we need to share gossip. Our brains need this. And yes. then that show came out and I was like, wow, that was brilliant. Yeah. And people obviously love it. It's like ranked in a very, it's ranked in the top podcasts. Yeah. Anyway. Recommend. Okay. Well, tell me what some of your other recent obsessions or recommendations are. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, well, one that I think you'll really love because it's a tearjerker. <laughs> <laughs> I occasionally listen to the We Can Do Hard Things podcast, which is mm -hmm. Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach and uh, Glenn and sister Abby. Or Abby. Not Abby. Um, Amanda. They had a guest on named Andrea Gibson recently, who I think is a, I know they're a professional poet. Somebody told me they might be the poet laureate. Don't know. They are a spoken word poet. And um, they also recently got diagnosed with terminal cancer right before they had been asked to be on the podcast. Wow. So the reason that Glennon and Abby had asked Andrea to be on the podcast was because Andrea's books and poems have been so helpful to Glennon during Glennon's recovery. And mm. anyway, the podcast was sort of titled like, this is the best episode we've ever done. And so I listen to podcasts while I'm walking the dog. It's, I walk the dog for about an hour. It's a perfect amount of time to just like dig in. And so one morning I'm like, oh, I'm going to listen to this. The best podcast they've ever done. Andrea Gibson, <laughs> poet. Great. And it is about the experience of knowing you're dying and how you live during that time. And the person that they're talking to that is having this experience is a poet. And so it yeah. is 
incredibly profound. I am walking the dog. It's like 8 a.m. And I am literally crying on the streets of San Francisco. <laughs> I, it, I strongly recommend. Great. <laughs> I, yeah, there's no way for me to say anything more than that because the words that Andrea uses are so much more beautiful than mine. But when you're ready to contemplate life and death, just at any point in time, to that. just throw it on. <laughs> I know you. I, will. I know you like a good tearjerker, so I figured I'd pass it. Well, on. it's funny. We were we had a long drive this weekend, and I'm like, you know, asking Mac what podcasts he wants to listen to that I've I've downloaded, and I'm like, here I've got one. This one's about like a dysfunctional family. This one's about people who just got out of prison. And he was like, these sound uplifting. Like, <laughs> I was like, they sound interesting. <laughs> yeah. The other one that's yeah. totally opposite that I've been listening to that's just like a fun kind of fluffy one is called Dead Eyes. And I can't remember how I saw it, where I saw it recommended, but essentially it's this actor comedian who was fired by Tom Hanks from a tiny like bit part with like five lines in that miniseries about World War One. I. I can't remember what it's called anymore, but it was it was filmed 20 years ago. So 20 years uh -huh. ago, this person was fired by Tom Hanks for like a five line speaking role in this show. And he when he was fired, it was, they told him it was because Tom Hanks said he had dead eyes. And so now he's doing sort of like an investigation around like, why, like, does he have dead eyes? Like why, why this happened? And it's, he jokes in one of the episodes, it's like serial that show S E R I A L, yeah. but like for something totally inconsequential. <laughs> um, and he has like a lot of his, he's friends with a lot of like semi-famous to famous like actors and comedians. So he has them on to talk to him about, about this. And it's just, it's like funny. Yeah. It's silly. The episodes are like 30 minutes and I'm just enjoying, enjoying it. Yeah. Great. Well, when I get to my obsessions, we've got some uh, some other Tom Hanks connections to. Oh, nice! To yeah, so please share yours. What are you listening to? Um, well, my first is the Dutch House by Ann Patchett. I listened to it on audiobook, and I've never been able to listen to audiobooks. They just go in one ear, out the other. But I've read a couple of Ann Patchett's books and really liked them. And this one, the Dutch House, is narrated by Tom Hanks. Oh. Um, they have this like sweet friendship story that she's written about in some of her essays. I forget exactly. They might've met on like a panel or something, but, um, yeah, he narrates it. And so it's so lively. Like he's not doing like, you know, elaborate voices and stuff, but he's not just like reading it. Like he's mm. reading it like an actor. Um, and it's also told from the perspective of, you know, a grown man looking at his childhood. So it's very fitting. Mm. And it was so wonderful i loved it so much great I'm so sad it's over um yeah i would highly recommend the book as well as like specifically listening to the audiobook um and the other tom hanks connection is that this book extremely loud and incredibly close they made a movie out of it and i, I believe tom hanks plays the father i think you're um, right oh that's funny i haven't seen it but 
Oh, that's so Maybe funny. We should watch it after we read it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and on the podcast they're talking about, I mean, he's, you know, quote unquote, the nicest guy in Hollywood and he's connected to everything. And so it, it is a funny podcast in that way because everybody has their little like Tom Hanks connection or story or, or you know, and, yeah. and the person who got fired from him is truly still a fan. He's not, yeah. like, it's, it's not like bad mouthing Tom Hanks. It's just like, yeah this is a weird thing that happened to me. Like, let's figure out what, what went down here, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then I've been on a real podcast, podcast kick, which has been great because I feel like the past year I've had just lots of times of not having any podcasts I like. Um, one I've been listening to is called Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto. It's about this little town in Southern California that brought in weed cultivation, like one of the first cities to do that. And what ensues from that. Um, and that's like, it's like being made now. Um, another is called classy and it's also being made now. It just, I think only has maybe two episodes, but it's about class Mm. issues and divisions. And, um, it's with Jonathan Menhevar, which I recognize. I think he worked on this American life. I recognize that name. Um, and, it the first episode was really really interesting about like wealth and what we consider like a good wealthy person versus a bad wealthy person and like what that means it was it was really good um and then i totally binged in the last like 24 hours <laughs> this podcast <laughs> which is also about 911 somehow um it's called the people who knew me or the people who know me, I forget which one. Um, it was based on a book and they turned it into this podcast. That's like nine episodes. They're each like just 15 or 20 minutes. Um, and Rosamund Pike read mm. like is the main character. Um, it's not an audio book. Like they turn it into an audio drama. Um, and it's about this woman who like uses nine 11 to fake her own death. Um, I saw something about this somewhere. Yes. It was so, so good. I just finished it this morning. Um, Yeah, really riveting the way it's told. Um, Really interesting story. Um, I had an episode of it downloaded uh, that I haven't listened to yet. That's so funny. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think it's done by the BBC, which is interesting. Like, you know, the BBC, like 9-11 was just like a very American story. Um. Also, apparently, Rosamund Pike is British, but, like, can do an American accent, obviously. <laughs> um, it was really funny because the whole thing is, like, with American voices. Um, and then there was one line <laughs> that they had. Um, they were talking about someone, and they were like, oh, yeah, my, you know, my wife who's called Marie. And I'm like, uh-uh-uh, Americans don't use the phrase you know, I'm called Caitlin. Her name is. <laughs> oh, that's a place. funny, yeah, British ism. Britishism. <laughs> um, and then Last Obsessions wanted to give some music shout outs, two music shout outs. Um, one to our mutual love, Olela, who has this great new album called back 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 and mac and i got to go see her play live here in portland at this great venue that's it's called the old church and it's you know an old church turned into a a concert space um it was amazing i love the album 
And then another musician I really like named Maude Latour has a new uh, EP um, called Twin Flames. And yeah, I'll link to both those because I've been listening to to a lot of both. Nice. Yeah, I love Olella. I'm feeling kind of dry on the music front these days. I need to I need to get some summer inspiration going. Yeah, I realize I basically like don't listen to any new music. I just like always listen to music I already know. <laughs> uh oh, that's a that's a sign of decline. You gotta get <laughs> you gotta get back in there. There's you know there's like over twenty hours of Taylor Swift music out there. So and what does anyone I'm, need more? Of? I'm well supported. Yeah, yeah, we've got all of the music to last us for the rest of our lives. Uh, Two things I wanted to say, other obsessions that I have, and it's sort of more of a mood that I I found in two different pieces, which is the book Piranesi, which I can't remember. Did, have we? You have, you've told me about that before. I forget if it was on the podcast or not. Well, so the book Piranesi and the show called The Silo, which is a new show. I think it's on Apple, maybe. Um... And actually, there's an, another book that I recently read that is similar kind of mood to called Cloud Cuckoo Land. All three of these are sort of sci-fi dystopian worlds, uh, different types of settings. One is sort of on this in this almost like cave underground by the sea, Piranesi, and then Cloud Cuckoo Land is like a lot of different time timelines in one book, but one of them is there in this sort of ship that's um, been made to make it to another planet because Earth is no longer habitable. Mm. And then the silo similarly is sort of a silo underground that 10,000 people live in. And there's kind of the story of how they got in there and what the world outside is like is unknown. And it's all three of them have this sort of mood of like, you know, there's something about this that, that the people living it don't, don't know are like innocent to, they think that they're Mm. part of this great experiment or, them living in this way is like really important or saving the world, but there's something nefarious or like off about it. And so that that mood kind of like permeates and it's not a mood that I typically am drawn to, but there's a mystery component to it that I really like. And I think they all ask good questions about, you know, the way that we're all living our lives now, how we're treating the earth, etc. Um, anyway, recommend all of them. Piranesi, Cloud okay. Cuckoo Land, and The Silo. I'm sort of like, we're currently addicted to The Silo, but I was like kind of putting these pieces together. Like over the past few months, I've read these two books and now I'm watching the show and they all feel the same. And I'm never drawn to like dystopia. I, I want to live in like a fantasy world that's, fun and beautiful and has rainbows and unicorns yeah not (laughs) not in like this darkness but for whatever reason i'm i'm feeling it right now it's working 
Well, I, it's funny for all my interest in these sad stories we've talked about, dystopia is I can't do it. (laughs) Don't do dystopia. I have tried and I've finally figured out that's the common thread, especially if it's dystopia, like based on America, like if it's dystopia based, like, you know, the Hunger Games, I was into that, but I didn't Mm. feel like that was like the U.S. turned into this, but like when it's dystopia that references like my world uh then i'm like Mm-mm, this feels too possible <laughs> you can do cloud cuckoo land then because cloud okay. cuckoo land is is a global story that has sections that take place in all different times in history and one of them being in and around constantinople uh okay. which is an interesting time in history right with like the ottoman empire falling and different different cultures kind of clashing there um along with this like ship that's out in space. Like it it goes from Mm. hundreds, thousands of years back to hundreds, thousands of years in the future. And it weaves Mm. all of the stories together. Okay. So uh, that's not necessarily, yeah, that's not necessarily as dystopian as the others. I think there's just some similarities. Yeah. Anyway, those are my it's that's that's scratching my like I love a good mystery. I like grew up dr- reading Agatha Christie, and so if there's a cliffhanger, I'm, I'm in. in. <laughs> <laughs> Pointless wars when I'm older, drinking fine.